right? Delighted to be able to preach to you again this week. Uh, This whole Proverbs series is going to be rough on you in the best kind of way. Uh, Today will be as rough as it gets, so it's one of those sermons where I say you just got to stick with us for the 30 minutes, um, follow through to the end, and a lot of this stuff will pull together, but be ready for that. Um, In preaching through the book of Proverbs, we got this court jester fool up on the screen. We're calling this uh, series, Let's Get Wisdom in Fool Town. We came out of the gate last week saying a few important things. Let me just re-say those real fast to just settle us into what in the world we're doing together. So one, we said that when we come to this wisdom of God given to us in Proverbs, we are tapping into something ancient and deep and one of the perfections of God. This is heavy stuff. Just one proverb might just stop you in your tracks, so we're going to go slow because this stuff is really beautiful but deep. We also said that wisdom is not just theological knowledge about God or intellectual, intellectual factoids about stuff, but it is this broad practical instruction for how to live life in all facets of life the way that God intended really well. So we're going to talk about money, marriage, parenting, friendship, business, real estate, government, everything you can imagine. Wisdom is taking God's thoughts out of the temple and bringing them onto the street to be lived in the real world if you want to be blessed by God. And we should ache, ache for that blessing of God. Wisdom will light the way. Then we said, whoa, okay. If wisdom is so priceless, so valuable, last week's text said, better than gold, silver, and precious jewels, you figure it's going to be really, really, really impossible for an average person like us, an average community like us to ever get it, that you'll have to walk a thousand miles or dig a thousand feet deep, or if you are not a part of the urbane, intellectual, social, elite crowd, you're not going to get wisdom. Gladly, scripture says something different. It says, wisdom is for anyone who wants it. Wisdom calls out on the street corner in the supermarket where we are and says, come and get me. And so that gave us great joy to say, whoa, God has made wisdom available to just an average person like me. And we said, what we want to then do is respond to that availability of wisdom and break a sweat to get it together. That's these four months in preaching through Proverbs. Now, we're trying to do that in a city that uh, we have been calling Fool Town, not because Boston's IQ isn't off the charts, but because Boston begins its search for wisdom, ignoring God, and that always leads to folly. And we're trying to roll differently and say, what would it look like to begin with God and his word in our pursuit of wisdom? And then we said, yes, we are setting our hearts to this task of getting wisdom, and not just our heads. Because getting wisdom is less about your head than it is about your heart. If you are not coming to this venture with a humble, repentant, regenerated, teachable heart, you'll never get wisdom. Because the fear of the Lord is at the very beginning of getting wisdom. The posture necessary for you to get wisdom is reverence for the all-wise one. Wisdom begins with the gospel with a heart that is transformed and a life that is surrendered. Okay, that's 30 minutes and three. 
Now, question. How would we know as a community if our hearts were there? How would you know if your heart was in the place it needed to be for you to actually do this and get wisdom? Well, Proverbs gives us an interesting answer today that we're going to press into. And Proverbs says this, if you want to know if your heart is in the right place to begin the getting of wisdom, look at your heart and see how it responds to correction. See how it takes a rebuke. See if your heart loves discipline. If you want to know if your heart is right, see how it responds when its folly is brought out into the light of day. Okay, Justin read our text from Hebrews. Dan read our text from Proverbs. That's the key anchor for today. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves the one whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I'm just going to read one more proverb. Sometimes we'll do these one at a time. This is the first proverb of the 12th chapter. My favorite kind of proverb, there's no fooling around at all. Solomon is just talking completely straight right here. And this is what he says. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. That's your Bible talking. Let that sit on you and we'll pray. Father, thanks for hard words that make for soft hearts. Would you convince us of your goodness? Because if we don't come to you by faith today, this is going to sound like folly to our Boston ears. Would you convince us of your goodness? Make yourself known to us by your spirit. And do come and do the hard work that you need to today through your word. Uh, As we set ourselves to it, that's my prayer that you would answer. Amen. Okay, so the name of this sermon is Fools Hate Discipline on Becoming a Community That Loves Correction. But if I had to give it a two-word name, it would be this. Wisdom stings. And that's because the getting of wisdom is a corrective, corrective endeavor because becoming wise includes some pain If Get Wisdom was like the ad campaign for the book of Proverbs, there would be this asterisk after the M in wisdom. And down in this fine print at the bottom, it would say, but don't forget, this is going to hurt. If wisdom was sold at store 24 on the shelf in the back with the eggs, um, there would be a big red warning label on the box of wisdom. And it would say, warning, using this product might sting. Wisdom stings. Okay, first let's talk about where we see that. Why would I say that is the case before we get into why? Let's talk about where we see that. So you will get this idea right off the bat, right at the start of this anthology of Proverbs. Solomon begins by running through his thesaurus and trotting out all the different words that he can think of for wisdom. And word number two is musar, which I like to say is Hebrew for, ouch, that hurt. It's actually Hebrew for the kind of instruction that comes through discipline or correction. Musar. The word implies the threat of punishment or the 
action of punishment if the person being taught refuses to come along with that wisdom. It has a sense of sternness to it. So you would not say, oh, our search for wisdom is Musar. You would say, my search for wisdom is Musar. Um, You would not say, we can find this kind of instruction on the couch at Starbucks, sipping a latte and flattering each other while we study a book from arm's distance. You would say, this is the kind of wisdom that comes in that gym where Rocky Balboa worked out with Apollo Creed in Rocky III in Compton. And Paulie said, Rock, we got to get out of here. Why? Because that hurt. Apollo was stinging Rocky and taking that lazy, flabby fool he had become and working him into shape. That is musar, discipline. That's the same word for wisdom that we get in this text today. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. In other words, don't hate it when your covenant God comes to correct you. He's going to correct you. And that correction is going to sting. And something in in you is going to want to hate him for it and despise him for it and squint your eye at him. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. He follows up musar with another intense Hebrew word, tokachat, which we get translated as reproof or rebuke. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, nor be weary of his reproof. That word is less of a physical sting and more of a a verbal reproof, but it's the same idea. Here we go. If you pursue wisdom, the Lord is going to have rebuke be a part of that pursuit. And not just once, but often and regularly and for the rest of your life. If you pursue wisdom, that rebuke is going to come and that rebuke is going to sting and something in you is going to get tired of that and grow weary of it and give up and just say, enough, I want to walk away from this whole getting of wisdom. And Solomon is saying, don't. So the message is sent in those two verses. We need to hear it. The pursuit of wisdom is not going to be an easy route. You're going to cut some sharp edges if you're going to do this together as a community. Let me go a little bit deeper and more intense. We see that not only in the words that Solomon uses to describe wisdom, but in the thing or the object that he most frequently associates with getting wisdom. All right, do a little exercise with me. Let's try this. What thing or what object do you most naturally associate with vacationing in the Bahamas? The sun. All right, good. What else? Sand. Pina coladas. I'm down with that. I thought he was going to say Corona, but pina coladas. Okay. Yeah. Christians having a good time on vacation. The sun, sand, ocean, sandals. Okay, fine. Those are the things that immediately naturally associate. What do you naturally associate with eating in the north end? Object, thing that comes to mind. Calamari. Ooh. Pasta. Cannolis. Cappuccino. Pinky rings. I was going to preach this sermon with my ring on this finger. Okay, good. 
Now, now, if I said to you, get wisdom, what's the first thing that most naturally comes to mind? When we think get wisdom, we might think a book, an encyclopedia. We might think a couch. I'm going to sit down with a sage. We might think uh, Star Wars in the swamp with Yoda. I'm going to get wisdom in that environment. A desk, a curriculum. Solomon says, no, you're wrong. The first object that's supposed to come to mind Wisdom's primary tool in getting its work done in us is the rod. The rod of correction. The Hebrew word here, sorry for three Hebrew words, but we've got to do this some in Proverbs. The Hebrew word here is Shabbat. Over and over again in Proverbs, you're going to hear Solomon saying, hey, the tool that will be most helpful in bringing someone to wisdom is the Shabbat. Okay, so now when I say rod in 2010 Boston... For some reason, we automatically think bat or club or big piece of iron or metal rod, um, skinny handle, huge head. This thing was made for bashing someone's skull in. And we just picture Solomon coming after his pupil with a big stick to do him harm. Goodfellas style. That is not what Proverbs is talking about. That word, Shabbat, is used very broadly in the canon of Scripture, and the places where it is used, the context, defines for us what they're talking about. So if you see a Scripture that says the king was holding his Shabbat, then it means he was holding his scepter or his rod. If it says that a shepherd was wielding his Shabbat, it means he was using his staff to keep his sheep from harm. In Proverbs, when you see the sage or the teacher holding a Shabbat, It's like a stick or a tree branch that was used for giving a fool-acting, fool-talking, fool-playing student a corrective strike. There's no permanent damage. There's no harm that's done. But there's a lesson that is learned. Musar, remember that word? Is accomplished through the Shabbat. So remember, when you see Proverbs, as you uh, see Rod, as you study Proverbs, It's not a club or a weapon or a bat. Those things were designed to do what? To crush, to kill, to maim, to bring death. That is not Solomon's rod of correction. His rod is to give wisdom to actually bring life by delivering correction. All right, so we got these words, Musar, Tokachat, Shabbat, all these words and ideas that carry this sting. Wisdom stings. And that begs the question, why? Why does it have to be this way? Why can't we just go to Starbucks and sip the cream off the top of a latte and get wisdom with classical music playing in the background? Why isn't it couches and foot massages? Why does Solomon think in terms of getting wisdom with these words, discipline, correction, rod? Well, let's survey some of the verses where we see the Shabbat show up and it will help us see why in the world this would be a part of it. And again, a small part of it, most of Solomon's correction is verbal, and and then this rod shows up. Why would that be the nature of getting wisdom? Okay, reason one that wisdom stings is because wisdom, getting wisdom, is very serious business. Throughout Proverbs, if you guys read this with us, you're going to keep hearing this refrain. Getting wisdom is the difference between life and And death, when the pastor team was doing our prep for preaching this series together, and we're going to 
do this over the summer so you're going to hear from everybody. We, we said, what does the tone need to be when we take the pulpit if we're going to preach the book of Proverbs faithfully? Like you remember Thessalonians and we were very motherly and nurturing and encouraging because that was the tone? Well, we said, what's the tone of Proverbs? And we said, everybody who preaches has to step into the pulpit with a fatherly earnestness that Solomon is writing to his son and his eyes are narrowed and his hands are on his shoulder and he's squeezing his shoulder blades and he's saying, my son, I love you. Listen to me. Folly is not a joke. One time he says it like this. Folly's feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol. See how this is not Starbucks couch stuff right here? This is life and death. This is why Musar and Tokachat and Shabbat come into play. This is serious. I need to have your attention. Matt, you do not reach up and ground yourself on electricity. That needs to sting so that you learn to save your life. I'll say it like this. Wisdom sings, stings for the same reason that a father will sometimes have to be aggressive with their children. So we live on this hill, and then there's Lebanon Street, and there's no light over there, right? There should be. And then there's cemetery. So the cruise kids spend all this time in the cemetery. It's going to sound weird. There's a pond in the cemetery. There's bike riding in the cemetery, jogging. One day we're coming back from the cemetery. Four or five years ago, Brandon's little, and he just strolls right out into that street like he owns it, okay? SUV is coming, and what do I do as a father who loves his son and in utter childlike folly, he is just marching across the street. Then I tap that boy lightly on the shoulder and say, Hey, Brandon, there's an SUV coming at about 45 miles an hour. Did I suggest that he consider not running into traffic? Did I have a two-way communication session of positive, parent, positive parenting with my child? No, what did I do in that moment? Again, we're talking narrow today. Many, many sermons. Today is narrow but deep. What did I do? I grabbed his shoulder and I yanked him back from death. And then I got on my knee and I looked him in the eye and I said, Brandon, I love you. This is Lebanon Street. Don't you ever put your head down and cross this street again. Now, did that sting? Yes. Was it supposed to sting? Yes. This is how wisdom has to work. This is God's grace to us. He gets our attention when we need it. So you will hear Solomon talking to his son the same way I talked to Brandon in that day throughout this series. Son, that is an adulteress's house over there. She will lure you in and take yourself, your soul down to death. Do not put your head down and walk across that street. Now, would that sting a 21-year-old kid who thinks he's got it all together to have somebody get in his face like that? Yes, and it's supposed to sting. Okay, stick with me here. We hear this idea clearly in Proverb, the 23rd chapter, the 13th verse. Hear this verse. Don't check out on any of these. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the Shabbat, he will not die. If you strike him with the Shabbat, you will save his soul from Sheol. Okay, let me say something pastoral for a second. Because of the sin of fathers in our culture, we recoil at first when we hear words like that read to us from Scripture, and rightfully so. 
I totally get why when you hear those words, your first response might be a recoil. I get it. I do. Don't forget, we live in the very dark shadow that has been cast by a generation of men uh, who did not love their children but abused their children. Uh, Seven Mile Road, I cannot even give words to express how deep of a sin that is and the terrible cup of God's wrath that is waiting to be poured out on an unrepentant father who physically assaults their son or their daughter for selfish and petty and ridiculous reasons ever. So like as pastors, if we ever hear of that happening in the home, in the life of our church, we will be at that home sitting with that father and being aggressive in disciplining him. Uh, Abuse is the furthest thing from the heart of God and the furthest thing from what we're talking about when we hear that kind of a verse. So if you have suffered under the very heavy, graceless hand of a mother or a father like that, I get why reading a verse like this would be hard. Just hang in with me to the end of the sermon. And let me also clarify what Solomon is saying here. Strike with the Shabbat in scriptures never means to beat or to whip or to bruise or to damage or to harm. That's not what he's talking about. And it is never done in anger or in excess or in glee. None of that is what we're talking about here. Strike with the Shabbat means give a corrective sting when it is needed and nothing more. To do what that light switch did to me, just that jolt so that you would get wisdom and see that if you continue in that path, death is coming. Sting, send the message, and done. Now, why does Solomon go there in this text? Why? Is it because he is outdated and patriarchal and unenlightened? No, we're talking Solomon here. Brilliant. It's because of the seriousness of the call to shape a covenant child's soul. A sting won't kill them, but folly will. Disobedience will. Sin will. The Shabbat won't send them to the grave, but the life lived in folly ends in eternal death. If you feel the weight of that, you get why the Shabbat might show up in the exercise of getting wisdom. This is serious business. Okay, reason number two why wisdom stings. Because we are born fools and we are in desperate need of a lot of correction. Okay, now I know that Boston disagrees with that, but here's the deal. We are all fools. We are sons of Adam, daughters of Eve. We are proud. We think we know what we are doing, especially when we're real young. We don't want to be told that there's anything wrong with us or our way. Our feet sprint to folly. Our hearts love it. And so if we are ever going to move from folly to wisdom, ever, it's going to take lots and lots and lots of correction. This is why Shabbat shows up in the book of Proverbs when Solomon is speaking to his son in telling him how to shape the souls of his grandsons and granddaughters. Young humans would never make it through kindergarten if it wasn't for the reality that getting wisdom stings. Um, If it wasn't for their folly being met with a sting that reminded them not to go down that route again. The Proverb 22.15 says it like this. 
Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the Shabbat of discipline drives it far from him. Okay, I swear to you that if you did an x-ray of my chest when I was like nine or ten years old, there wasn't a heart in there. You see that hat? That's what was inside of me right there. Open heart surgery and there would have been like clown stuff and circus stuff and whatever fool stuff is intertwined right in with the valves of my heart. If left to myself, I would have eaten nothing but White Castles, French fries, Mountain Dew, Spree, and Fun Dip. Those are my five food groups right there. I would have read nothing but Calvin and Hobbes. That's it. I would have done nothing but play Asteroids on the Atari 2400, this little stick and this button, ligament damage to your hand, you fool. I would have never brushed my teeth. Trust me on that one. Never memorized the scripture. Actually, as a nine-year-old boy, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have bathed at all. What in the world is the point of that? And if you would have asked me, I would have thought I was brilliant and wise and smart that Yoda had nothing on me. You know that I thought that clothes washed and folded themselves and jumped back in my drawer and that the fridge just filled up with food every month and that the garbage can walked its way down the steps to the stoop on Friday morning? I have thrown rocks at hornets' nests while standing right beneath them. I have stuck forks in electrical outlets, knives, spoons, other utensils. I've looked directly into a 20,000-watt flashlight with my eyes wide open. I've slid downstairs on cardboard boxes without putting pillows and blankets down at the bottom. I have stood up in a canoe. <laughs> do, you want me, do you want me to keep going? He's like, yeah, you're telling my story. Keep going. And that's just folly. That's not even to mention sin. So I talked back to my mom and treated her with utter disrespect as a little punk. I stole things that did not belong to me. I cheated on tests. I basically acted as if this entire world just revolved around nine or ten-year-old me. And everybody else should understand that it's my preferences that should dictate the way that this whole world goes. How come no one else understands this? See, Solomon knows that that is how children are, and that is how they will remain if they are not corrected. Proverb 29, 15, the Shabbat and Tokahat give wisdom, but a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. See, we're asking, why does Solomon insist on these things? Discipline, correction, the rod. It's because Solomon knows our human nature. He knows that folly is bound up in our hearts from birth, that if God in his grace is ever going to get us going in the right direction, it's going to take more than a gentle reminder and a suggestive push. He has to retrain our minds and our hearts and our souls. We love folly. We need to be driven away from it, and that process is going to sting It's going to take discipline. It's going to take reproof. You cannot get wisdom without the sting of correction. Okay. Now you hear all that first 20 minutes, right? And you say, man, Solomon is stern and harsh and cold-blooded. Woo! Aren't we in a church here? Where is Jesus' love? Here's the thing. Every word I have spoken so far is rooted in in love. See, Boston culture, our fool town, 
panics at the word discipline, at the presence of discipline, thinking that it means that there is an absence of love. Only a mean, nasty, harsh person would ever discipline someone or correct their child. But Solomon would say what? You fool. The opposite is true. The presence of discipline confirms, displays the reality of love. The parent who disciplines is the parent who loves. That's not the one you should be worried about. It's the one who refuses to correct and musar and tokachat their child who is lacking love. That's the dangerous home. The place where the sting exists for the good of the child is the safest place for a child to be. Hear this loud and clear again in our text. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. But then Dan kept reading. For the Lord reproves him whom he... What? Now, you're expecting it to say in your bad experience with bad fathers, this sinful world, okay, the Lord disciplines, the Lord reproves. It must be the ones that he is frustrated with or the ones that he likes to see cry or those that he wants to hurt or those who he wants to mess around with or get a kick out of. Is that what this proverb says? No. The Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. Whoa. So, I mean, first blush of reading that, you are not expecting those words to be brought together. We don't think of words like discipline and reproof being matched with love and delight, do we? But that is the beauty of wisdom's sting. And that is where the folly of our town comes into collision with the wisdom of God. These words, discipline, correction, shabet, these are not harsh tools wielded by strict authorities who like to smack people around for their own pleasure. That's not it. These are loving tools wielded carefully by loving fathers and leaders who delight in those who have been given to their care. And that truth right there changes everything about this reality, everything about this sermon, everything about wisdom stinging. We are not choosing between strictness and nurturance, between sternness and kindness. False choice. God in his grace has designed for getting wisdom to sting because he loves us. And he knows that that sting is exactly what we need to grow in wisdom and in holiness and in life. That is good news. That is gospel news. God is treating us as sons and daughters when he allows the sting of wisdom to shape our souls toward blessing and life. That is why this, Proverbs gets, this proverb gets requoted in the New Covenant. Justin read to us before from the Newer Covenant. And it is a verbatim quoting of this text, bringing it to bear on the life of a church in the Christian era after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what does he say to those believers? 
don't forget the exhortation that addresses you as sons, sons and daughters. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. There it is, right? For a second there, wisdom stings. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained for it. Hear those ideas? You get trained for it. It stings at first, but the end game is great peace for your souls. If you avoid that training, you have a peaceful time on the couch right now. You avoid the sting now, and you walk into death. And then he says this. When God treats you like that, he is treating you as sons. That is so good to know, that the discipline of God is always for our good. It is never, never, never punishment in anger, but it is always correction in love. Okay, let me speak autobiographically at the end of this so that you just see how it works out in somebody's life, especially since I've taken the risk to, to preach some of these things to you today. All right, so I already love this part. Caleb loved it down here. When I was a boy, I was proud and I was foolish, and I wore that hat right there everywhere I went. Uh, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, okay? Parents, your kids are going to be fine. They're kids. Be patient. Wait on them. God's grace is going to be there. We're starting with folly. We will get to wisdom. We're starting with sin, but grace and redemption will come. For me, that was when I was about 12 years old, and God regenerated my heart, and I was growing up a little bit, and I was born again, okay? I love that phrase. My friends hate that phrase. I love that phrase. I was born again. In those first few years, I had this very tender conscience, and I loved God's discipline, and I loved God's correction, or what I knew of it at the time. I I was so anxious to see God show me my sin and change me and sting me with his rod if he needed to so that I could be holy. My heart wanted that really badly in high school, middle school and high school. I would pour through the scriptures with no idea what I was reading, but be like, God, how do I live? I know I'm a fool. I know that wasn't good. Show me what's good, whatever it means. Show me. And I had this blazingly bright vision of the holiness of God that my eyes had caught a hold of, and I wanted it bad. Um, As I grew, of course, ran into the teeth of Guyland, which we talked about. And there was a few years there where God, in his grace, withheld the Shabbat from me and allowed me a really good taste of what it would be like if my feet went toward folly, if I followed her steps down to the grave. And so here's just some things I remember. If I had to write a book on it, I could fill a couple of volumes. I remember in this season living with grace just like a roommate and not like a wife, like a bride. Just two separate lives from my point of view. I wasn't sacrificing anything. I was leading in no way at all, none. I was taking no responsibility for our spiritual life at home, just a fool, like I had the hat on. I, I, I remember nights when I would sit on the couch, and at 6 p.m. I would watch Sports Center, and at 7 I would watch the Big East, and at 9 I would watch the Big Ten, and at 11 I would watch Sports Center show me the highlights of what I had just watched, and then at midnight I would watch the Pac-10. Stupid, right? Just total, utter folly. Uh, I spent no, I don't remember praying for a couple of years there. I guess I did. I don't remember it being a part of me. I wasn't reading anything at all. I was not growing theologically. The walls around my marriage were like the walls in the kids' room in there. I mean, just low, didn't get it. Anybody could have jumped over those walls. 
we were making like fifty or $60,000 a year, the two of us working full-time. That's how pathetic our salaries were. But still, do you know how we would give? We would come to church a couple times a month and maybe give $100 if we remembered. Giving like 1% or 2% of our earnings to God. It's pathetic. I could go on and on and on with bullet points. Uh, those are the ones that just came to me quickly this week. It was utter folly. But then, my father, right? My Abba, my dad, in his love for me and in his grace to me and in his delight in me. You know what he did? He got out the Shabbat and he went, he took me on his lap and he went to work. And it was not two-way communication and it was not positive parenting and it was not nurturant style. It was swift discipline and it stung. It stung. It was embarrassing in that season for God to begin to trot out before me my laziness and my lust and my ignorance and my greed and my love of this world. And every time he did that, it stung. But I'm really thankful that he did. Uh, It started slowly. It started like this through the preaching of his word. You wonder why Boston hates preaching because we hate discipline. I would sit in this pew at Forestdale Church and this little guy but you couldn't even see his face behind the Bible. My older brother, Paul, over there, would preach the Bible to me. And God was pricking at my heart, and it would sting, and I would tense up and shrug my shoulders. And he was getting after me with his rod. And then it continued with the counsel of a few friends. I would have these conversations where I would be challenged by some holy guys, and I would be called out. And every time that happened, it stung My first reaction, every time somebody stepped into my life in that way, you know, they would say, Matt, what? You're, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Where are you right now, man? You know what my reaction was? Shut up. Who do you think you are? This is Matt Cruz you're talking to right here. Full scholarship, man. I'm no fool. But I was. I was like the stupid animal that got quoted at the beginning today. The one who loves discipline, loves knowledge. The one who hates reproof is stupid. That's the word for an animal who just doesn't learn. Hey, this is good for you. You need to be corrected. I did not want to hear it because it hurt. But in that season, something changed inside of my heart. I don't know, 99, 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. And God in his grace said, enough, okay, um, And he let me see again what I had seen very clearly at a previous time in my life, the holiness of God. Oh, the ancient perfections of God, the wisdom of God. And then I saw the folly of this world much more clearer in contrast. And I realized, oh, shoot, that fool with the hat on, that is me. And I need to get some wisdom. And for the last 10 years, I have been setting my heart to love discipline. And you guys who know me know this is true. You can vouch. I know I need correction, and I will take it from anyone. God wants to give it to me through whatever avenue God might have. His loving correction for me. Something has changed in me, and I want it. Uh, Whether that's through his word, by his spirit, in community, through hardship, through suffering... 
any way that God wants to bring the rod on this foolish life. This is a serious endeavor, and I want his holiness. Discipline me. Teach me what it looks like to love correction. Now, that does not mean that it stings any less now. It just means I'm in the closet much more often getting grounded so that I can learn. You know, sitting in Panera Bread and having some brothers look me in the eye and say, it really sounds to us like your love for wife is not, your wife is nothing more than duty. And like you want a standing ovation every time you love her. Something's not right in your heart. You can't really finish your bagel in that moment, right? And what's your first reaction? Defensive, angry, but what is God calling you to as his sons and daughters? Love those moments. Don't be weary of correction. It will save your soul. And that brings us full circle to our question for today. So I get to ask it at the beginning and the end. What is our reaction going to be to discipline? Wisdom stings. Thank God that it does. How will we respond? Will we despise the Lord's discipline? Will we get weary of it? Or will we embrace it? Will we love it? You know how you're going to want to respond, right? You know yourself, don't you? Please tell me that you know yourself. I know you. I know me. You're going to want to fight back. You're going to want to walk away from it, from community, from word, from spirit. You're going to want to defend yourself. I'm no fool. You're going to want to deny the doctrine of original sin or original folly, as we're calling it in the series. You're going to want to deny the doctrine of the fatherhood of God and say, no, no such thing. You're going to want to deny the goodness of discipline and correction. You're going to want to admit anything but, I'm a fool and I need correction. But I long for God to make us to become a community that is cool with correction. That when it's necessary and when it's needed, our hearts receive it, receive it even though it stings, and that life can flow from it. So hear the text again for me. Hear God, not me, not Solomon. My son, my daughter, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't be weary of the Lord's reproof. For the Lord reproves the one he loves, the one he is for. Just like a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. That is gospel news. Let's respond to it together. Father, what in the world would it look like if Seven Mile Road became a humble, teachable community that loved discipline, that never grew weary of being corrected, that had such a vision of your holiness and us becoming holy and wise and living a blessed life that we would appreciate and embrace and receive your sting and your correction. I thank you that because of the cross of Christ, none of this is ever done punitively to harm us, to condemn us, not once, that we stand forgiven of our sins and now becoming 
more and more like our Savior. And Father, hear me. If it's hardship, if it's suffering, if it's words from this pulpit, if it's work of your spirit, if it's conversations in soul care, whatever it needs to be, would you bring discipline and correction and a sting upon this place that we might live, that we might live. Thanks that that is not harsh news, but it's the greatest news we could think of. You are treating us as sons. Amen.